Welcome to The Athletics of Business, a podcast about how the traits and behaviors of elite athletes and remarkable business leaders frequently intersect. The real stories and hard lessons to help you level up your leadership and performance. Now your host, Ed Molitor. Welcome back to another episode of The Athletics of Business podcast. I am your host and CEO of The Molitor Group, Ed Molitor. And I could not be more fired up to bring you today's special guest, John O'Sullivan. I've known John for a few years now. When I first launched the Molitor Group, I was really intentional about having as many conversations as I possibly could have with folks who content I love, are well-respected leaders, whether they're in the athletic world, whether they're in the business world. And it was, it was a lot of fun connecting and getting to know some great people. And every now and then, you'll have a conversation with someone and say you have a 20-minute time slot and you'll find yourself talking for 60 minutes. And when you hang up or you disconnect, you think to yourself, man, that is someone that what they say and what they do really resonates with me. Ton of respect. Really, really enjoyed myself. Really liked that person. I want to stay in touch. And that's that was John. I mean, John just, he, he had it. And it was just, it's been phenomenal getting to know him and to finally have him on the podcast as a guest is very humbling and you're going to enjoy it. Now, let me give you one piece of advice or a suggestion, I should say. Listen all the way till the end because this is a little bit longer conversation and I mean longer in duration. There really are no flat moments. There's really no dips. John just keeps saying some amazing things because we're going to dive into his new book, Every Moment Matters, How the World's Best Coaches Inspire Their Athletes and Build Championship Teams. I'll get back to that in a second. But even at the end of the conversation, I sort of make a pivot and I ask John a couple of questions coming from me as a father of a seven-year-old and a five-year-old who, you know, their mom was a great athlete, their dad pretended to be a good athlete, and um, they, love, they love sports. You know, they love karate, they love soccer, they love basketball, they love, I mean, anything. They just love it. And I've been around, obviously athletics my whole life and, and parents, my whole life, parents of athletes. And um, John is the person to talk to about youth sports, um, the value of coaches, the significance of coaches and their role, which is exactly what um, his book's about, right? And also the parents. I mean, that's another angle. So there's something in this podcast for everybody, uh, regardless of your field endeavors, just some amazing, amazing leadership lessons, both for youth sports, but I'm telling you, it translates directly into the business world. And as you listen, you won't be able to help but smile when you, you realize how it translates. And, we, and before I guess, before I get into what we talk about, let's talk more about who John is and what he does, what the great work is he, he does and, and has done. And John is an internationally known TEDx speaker and the founder of the Changing the Game Project, which he started in 2012. He is the author of two number one best-selling books, and a leading youth sports blogger. Great blog. Um, I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that this third book is going to skyrocket to a number one best-selling book. I was blessed. John provided me a copy in a Word document, unedited copy of the book uh, before it went to print. And I got to read it. And I, I'm going to tell you, I couldn't put it down. And my kids were making fun of me because when they see me read a book, they're normally, they're used to a book, like cover, a hardcover book, or on my, my tablet, my Kindle. Um, my iPad, whatever. And here I am holding 300 and something pages of a Word document. And I mean, I'm just, you know, treating it like it's gold, which it is. 
Okay, now back to who John is. John is also the host of the Way of Champions podcast, one of the top-rated podcasts in the world for coaches. Let me say it again, host of the Way of Champions podcast, phenomenal, one of the top-rated podcasts in the world for coaches. He is a former collegiate and professional soccer player and has coached for over 20 years on the youth, high school, and college level. John is consulted with the U.S. Olympic Committee, U.S. Soccer, USA Football, USA Lacrosse, USA Swimming, Ireland Rugby, Aussie Rules Football, and many more. John is also a National Advisory Board member for the Positive Coaching Alliance and the National Association for Physical Literacy. We're going to get into, again, the book, Every Moment Matters, How the World's Best Coaches Inspire Their Athletes, Inspire Their Athletes, excuse me, and Build Championship Teams. And it's really interesting how the book is broken down. And John's going to get into who and what inspired him to break it down into these four sections, these four areas. And those four are, number one, why do I coach? Number two, how do I coach? Number three, how does it feel to be coached? by me. How, I mean, that's big time right there. How does it feel to be coached by me? And number four, how do I define success? John shares two incredible stories uh, about Steve Kerr. John recently had Steve Kerr on his podcast. Unbelievable, unbelievable interview. And there's a great story about Steve and his time with Pete Carroll and some of the things Pete Carroll uh, shared with him and taught him. Um, and where that led Steve as a, as a head coach to, you know, certain things that led Steve to develop. Um, we get into why self-awareness is so critical in coaching youth sports teams. And it really, it goes back to the title, right? Every moment matters. And it also, he also jumps into why self-awareness is so critical uh, when you lead in business. You know, segueing from the self-awareness is to be a better coach, be a better you. And to be a better leader, be a better you. And here's one I love. This next thing we talk about, it's just a great point in the conversation. You coach a person, not a sport. Then John shares a story about a turning point in his life when he started to realize that he needed to move from being a transactional coach to a transformational coach. Because John and I share some conversation wrapped around the fact when we were young coaches, it was always about, it was about winning. It was about producing successful players and successful teams. And it was a very transactional mindset. A lot of it had to do with the way we were coached at certain levels. And then John jumps into how to create powerful, meaningful moments for your people and your athletes. And he shares a story of how he did it and how he still does that with new team members. Again, I cannot urge you enough, encourage you enough to listen all the way through. Because when he talks about the role of parents in youth sports and what their roles are and why they need to make sure they're racing towards the right finish line, let me, let me repeat that because this is a great part. And this is right at the end. Be sure that you are racing toward the right finish line. It's, it's John O'Sullivan, let me tell you, is an absolute home run guest. Enjoy my conversation with him. John, you know, one of the things I work with my clients a lot on is focusing not so much on what keeps them up at night, but what gets them up in the morning. Let me tell you something. When I woke up this morning, the very first thing I thought of was the fact that I was going to record an unbelievable podcast episode with you. So thank you so much for joining us on the Athletics and <laughs> Business Podcast today. That's, that's high praise. I, I hope that uh, this lives up to expectations, but most of uh, your and my conversations do. So uh, I'm really excited to be here. Well, let's, let's jump into your journey and how, you know, what brought you to where you are today? So I was like you, uh, I got into coaching after I stopped playing 
Um, and I coached uh, high school. I coached four years as an assistant coach on the division one level and in soccer. Um, I then coached youth for many years in Michigan and Oregon. And in 2012, after a long time of doing this and running organizations, I was really kind of burnt out with not the coaching. I love the kids, but everything else that was happening in coaching, sort of the, the parents that were driving me crazy, some of the other coaches who were working for me that were just, they didn't understand what it meant to be a coach and how influential they were. And um, I was talking to my colleagues in coaching and they were all dealing with the same thing. So I sort of said, wow, if everyone has the same issues, then boy, maybe this is an opportunity to influence uh, a few more people than just my local club. And so I decided to research and write a book, which is the book Changing the Game. And that was on sort of the mental state of athletes. So what's going on in the couple inches between your ears? Because if we get that part right and we strip away the interference in there, people can play their best. And then it morphed into a blog. Um, it went to a TED Talk once the blog became really popular. The TED Talk became very popular. And then um, it, two and a half years ago, we started our own podcast called Wave Champions. And uh, that's gone really well. We've had multiple World Cup winners. We've had people like Steve Kerr on the podcast. We've had um, probably coaches have won 100 NCAA titles in a variety of sports, sports psychologists, um, skill acquisition experts, things like that. And uh, yeah, and then we do a ton of speaking. So my workshop schedule takes me all over the world from my next trip goes to Beijing and Sydney. And then my one right before Christmas goes to Italy. Um, and uh, then I get some time off. But uh, welcome yeah. time off too. welcome time off, because obviously I'm uh, launching this new book, which we're going to talk about. And uh, I think I'll need some time to pour into that as well. Now, before we get into the new book, let's go back to the TED Talk, because before you and I ever had an opportunity to connect the first time I watched the TED Talk and you talk about hitting a home run. I mean, can you can you sort of fill in our listeners on what the TED Talk was was about? Obviously, it evolved from the book changing, you know, your your first book. But can you can you kind of describe the message in that TED Talk? I loved it. Uh, The message, basically, the the takeaway was. A very simple concept that I learned from a, a guy named Bruce Brown, who's very influential in in my life as I started changing the game project. Um, but I, it's a very old message. I think it's in the Bible, right? And it's basically tell your kids I love watching you play. <laughs> and as parents, as coaches, if we can convey this idea that you know I love watching you compete, I'm honored with the fact that you're out there. My love for you is unconditional, based upon whether we win or lose then people are going to come back. They're going to play more. They're, they're not going to drop out of sports like so many kids do. And um, so that's what the message was. And it, it seems to have resonated. You know, it was funny putting together a TED Talk. You know, I probably put 100 hours into a 14-minute talk. And um, up until two weeks out, I still hadn't really coalesced around that one message and I sent I sent it off to my then 80 year old mom and she said wow that that was nice but I don't know what you're talking about and <laughs> you know and about 2 weeks out 10 days out I really right. consolidated around this idea of I love watching you play and I sent it out to 10 people and I said don't give me feedback on the material just tell me what's my idea worth sharing mm-hmm. and everyone came back with those you know I love watching you play I'm like great I got it right, right. There's a message. And, and still to this day, I meet people 
who are like, you're the all I love watching yeah. you play guy. They don't, they don't know what my name is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they saw the TED talk. Isn't that funny how that works out? But what what a powerful message that was. And, you know, our, our children are only five and seven, but I, I couldn't wait for that first sporting event so I could use that line on them. You know, and it's, but it's, it, it's true when you see their eyes light up and, and even if you just watch them practice, but so when did you first realize when you talk about this in a Ted talk and in, in your blogs and, and, and things of that nature, but when did you first realize the significance of the alarming rate at which kids were dropping out of sports and the impact that was having and, and really the reasons why? Yeah, I mean, I think in researching the book, and I think anecdotally, I knew it from running organizations and sort of after middle school, as kids went to high school, they leave sports for a variety of reasons, right? It could be tougher academic load, they get jobs, they consolidate around one sport. But, you know, when you see um, all the kids who had dropped out before then, many of whom didn't have a great experience, you're thinking, wow, this isn't a good thing. And and so as I did the research and found out that kids who quit sports because they're injured or they're burnt out, you know, by adolescence, the research shows that they actually quit all sports forever. They don't come back to anything. It's not like they quit basketball and switch to soccer. It's usually they quit sport. And then they have so many issues um, by not being active throughout their life with, with health and well-being and whether they even go to college and drugs and alcohol and all this sort of stuff it really kind of hit home for me that this is not, you know, I, I think the next great social movement in, in the United States, I mean, we've had, you know, we have the environmental movement, we've had civil rights, we've had, you know, women's rights, all this. I mean, I, I really think the next great social movement's a wellness movement. Mm -hmm. um, we are on an unsustainable path with how we eat and our lack of activity and our lack of movement. And um, it, it's unsustainable. It, it's, it's unaffordable. Um, whether you think we should have socialized health care or not. The fact is most countries that do recognize that if they were where the United States is going to be is trending in 10 years, they'd all go bankrupt. Um, and so what does that mean? And, and I think sport is a big part of this wellness movement. Um, if we can give young children positive sport experiences, um, they're going to stick with it and at least become runners and cyclists and swimmers later on in their lives. So yeah, that's that, that's the bigger message I think that comes out of it. So as you, and I'm, I want to lead into into the new book, and I really want to dive into that because it's it's. And thank you for giving me a sneak peek into it because it's just an unbelievable piece of work. As this all evolved, how did this lead into your most recent book? Well, the book "Every Moment Matters," which is is the new one, um, has been bouncing around in my head for a long time. And since I started changing the game project, you know, in the beginning, I went out and just did parent education talks. And then I realized that number one, I'm a coach and I love coaching and, and coaches, you know, you, you, you talk to a parent, they influence two or three kids. You talk to a coach, they might influence 30 or 50 kids. And so we could make a bigger difference if we we're really helping coaches understand what do kids want from you as a coach. Um, how you can deliver that effectively. And in fact, this doesn't make you less competitive, it actually makes you more competitive. Um, so the idea had been bouncing around. And um, then instead of writing the book, I decided to start the Way of Champions podcast, which was the best decision ever. Because then for this book, I mean, like I, like I said, we've been able to interview so many incredible people 
that they're all weaved throughout this book. So all the chapters start with uh, some incredible coaching stories um, or sport development stories of all levels, right? From professional coaches to championship college coaches to youth coaches. Um, and I think it really makes the book kind of approachable for coaches of what well, doesn't matter what age athletes you're, you're coaching. Well, and I love how you have the book broken down into, into four sections. And the first section being, why do I coach? The second, how do I coach? The third, and I love this one, how does it feel to be coached by me? And then the fourth one, how do I define success? Can you talk about how you came about setting the book up that way? Well, um, I'll give full credit to Joe Ehrman, um, the amazing uh, former NFL player who runs the Inside Out Initiative and his book, Inside Out Coaching, poses those questions, right? And that was really influential for me many, many years ago when I read that book, especially like you said, this, this third question of what does it feel like to be coached by me? And I think just like that resonated with you, that resonates with tons of the coaches that we talk to at our workshops. Um, they're just stunned. You know, they, they, I'm like, have you ever considered this? And most haven't. And I know I didn't consider that for many years, right? I thought I was just mm -hmm. this transmitter of information. Who cares what you feel like? Just listen to the information. Mm -hmm. um, but really, when you start diving into that, you get to this point of like, um, Man, if I am really intentional about what it feels like to come to work here every day, uh, not work, but to come play for me every day, right. if I'm intentional about um, what a kid feels like while they're at practice, when they leave practice, um, after a game, whether it's good or bad, then they're going to be more open to learn from me. They're going to learn quicker and they're going to want to come back. And so I, you know, I, I'm, I've coached long enough to realize, especially on the youth level that, you know, people have other loves and passions and interests. And so if I'm coaching a kid in soccer and they decide that they want to be, you know, that they're transitioning to cross country running or, you know, where I live, Nordic skiing or things like that, they might leave soccer. That's okay. Um, but I want them going God, this is the hardest decision I've ever had to make. Right. Um, not going, oh yeah, I'm out of soccer. Coach is an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you talk a little bit about that in the book and, and you say something in the book that just hit me right over the head because it was me when I was in my younger 20s coaching major college basketball. It was a transactional, you know, I, I, I thought the way to make a big impact on a person's life was to help them reach your potential, right? Mm -hmm. And we had good intentions, but there was a piece of the puzzle um, that was that was not missing. It was there, but we didn't get how significant it was back then. When did you first realize that, like how intentional you had to be about what you talk about inside this book? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I share a story which was kind of a, an origin story in the book, and this was back when I was probably same age as you, sort of mid to late twenties, and. I was coaching college soccer at the University of Vermont. And one of the first kids I'd ever coached, he was a high school player in North Carolina, called me and he was, um, he was applying to med school at Vermont. And he just said, hey, I'm going to come up there. Uh, I'd love to see you when, I, when I'm there and checking out the place. I'm like, oh, that's great. And he said, you know, coach, I, I just want you to know that, you know, doing your MCATs is really hard and college was really tough. And he said, you know, when I whenever I want to give up, whenever I'm in the weight room and I want to, um, you know, quit on a set, I think of you. 
And I see you and I hear you telling me, is that the best you got? You sure you can't finish this? Can't you do a little bit more? And he said, I just want to say thank you. And, and I was like, I was stunned. I, I was, um, I hung up the phone. I told the coach that I was working with that story. He's like, that's great. I'm like, that's not great. That's terrible. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, because I, like I got along great with that kid. Right. I'm like, but what are all the kids who, who that message didn't come across? Or I told right. them to go take up kayaking or something like what, you know, they must hate me. And, and right. that I'm not going to claim that in that moment, everything changed, right? This isn't a movie. Um, but it certainly started me on this path of like, wow, uh, people remember what I say. Mm-hmm. People remember what I did, right? Yeah. In that moment of anger or emotion, mm-hmm. something that I say could stick with a person the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, I better be careful about that. <laughs> every, every moment matters. Every right? moment matters. Yeah, there you go. And that's a, that's a great segue though, because, you know, when we talk about the athletics of business and, and you know, what makes you high performing teams and elite athletes so successful are key to your success in business. And right now we're talking about this, this paradigm shift instead of viewing yourself as a manager or a boss, viewing yourself as a coach. And I think people get frustrated because they, they truly want to develop into what you and I see the successful and great coaches being in athletics, right? The things that Mm -hmm. we're talking about, but you just said it's, it's an origin. It's not something that happens, you know, happens overnight. And I would love to go and start to talk about, you know, how do you get to that? You know, where do you start? Why do I coach and, and talk about how that evolves and how you start with the, the inner self. Well, what's a great as a Nietzsche quote, right? He who has a strong why can survive anyhow, right? And so mm-hmm. um, I really think that a lot of coaches, um, and this was actually a conversation that I had with uh, with Joe Ehrman on our podcast was, um, you know, he said, you know, I think a lot of coaches burn out or, or leaders burn out, right? Just because they lose touch with their why. Right, they lose touch with with their purpose, and 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 why do, why do I do this? Um, and, and for most people, right in in my world of of sports coaching, you're not doing it for the money, right? Yeah, sure, college basketball and professional basketball and football and a couple sports, yeah, that's the living. But you know, if you, if you're coaching your local twelve year old right. basketball team, you know, even if you're making a living at it, this is not life changing money, but right. <laughs> by any by any stretch. So. Um, Getting really clear with, you know, I think number one, you know, why am I here? Why do I coach? What What is the real purpose of this is one of the most important things. Being self-aware so that when things happen around you, you're not reacting, but you're responding because you've trained yourself to respond well in these public emotional situations with young, impressionable people. And then also, I think for for your teams or the groups that you're coaching, um, what's there, right? Like having a higher purpose than winning for a team often leads to the most successful teams as well, right? And and I think if we if we're only focused on did we win, even though that's how we might be judged as as coaches, especially on a higher level, we get ourselves in trouble. We get ourselves chasing something that a lot of times we don't have a lot of control over. Right. But if we have sort of a higher purpose than winning that, man, we are going to be the best practicing team and we're going to love each other like a family. And this is going to be the strongest, most tight knit group you've ever been around. And we're going to practice like crazy and we're going to honor, you know, a person or a thing or God or whatever we do in the way that we play. And every time we step on the field, it's going to be 
abundantly evident to everyone we play against how much we love each other and how hard we work, then you're going to win a hell of a lot of games. And I think whether you're coaching a sports team or you're working with a business team, people are people, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And, and when they have a strong why, you'll accomplish a lot of stuff. Well, and I think when you take that why and you combine it, and I love what you talk about where you coach a person, not a sport, right? Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, and, and whenever you're in a position of uh, leadership over another person, right? You're, you, you, you coach a person, not a sport. You coach, uh, you, you know, you, you lead a person, not a, not a salesman, <laughs> you know? And, and it's like, um, when you get deep down into um, what drives him or her, what motivates them, um, what are their greatest fears? What are their greatest um, uh, loves? And, and, and you do your best to um, connect with them as a human being, then they're going to perform their best in sport. But if you just treat it as one size fits all, um, it doesn't mean it doesn't work at all, but on, you know, on a scale of like least effective to most effective, mm-hmm. um, for many people, you'll be very ineffective. And for some, you'll be very effective. Right. Um, but if you try to do your best to communicate the way each person wants to be communicated with and things like that, um, you're going to get the most out of the most people possible. And, you know, I, I think one of the best at doing that in professional sports, and I know you know who I'm going to say is Steve Kerr. Uh, love the story, the a couple stories in the book, loved his podcast interview uh, that you guys did. Um, unbelievable. Can you share a little bit of the insight? You know, I love, I love the things that Pete Carroll told Steve and how this relates to, you know, what you put in the book and, and exactly what we're talking about. Sure. So I think there, there's two things that really resonate with me that fit into what we're talking about now. And I think the first one before we go to the Pete Carroll side of things, um, one of the things Steve talked about is obviously he had an incredibly successful career as a player at Arizona with the Bulls, with the Spurs, um, you know, won five NBA championships as a player. But, you know, he's like, you know, I, for most of my career, I was coming off the bench. And he said, so I'm very, very intentional about not just how I treat my starters, but how do I treat you know, the guys coming off the bench. And he learned a lot about that from Pop and from Phil Jackson and things like that. But one of the things that he talked about, he said, you know, as a coach, um, I have to know what each person needs. He says, so for Steph Curry, the biggest thing for Steph is the amount of drain on his time. Everyone wants Steph for something. And so my job as Steph's coach is to create this bubble where he can just be a basketball player, mm-hmm. where he can be himself, where it's all those outside distractions are gone and he can just do what he loves the most. And he said, for the 14th guy on my bench, um, his biggest concern is, is this my last contract? Am I going to be out of the league? What happens to me um, if I don't have basketball in my life next year? And he's like, that's a very different that person needs something very different from me than Steph Curry. And if I give him what I give Steph, I'm not helping him at all. And so that really, I, I think, resonates with me, whether you're coaching pros or whether you're coaching kids, right? They all need something. And your best player is going to need something a little bit different than your kid who maybe hasn't grown yet, who's maybe struggling a bit, things like that. So that, that really resonated with me. 
I thought that was unbelievable. And the way Steve articulates that is awesome. And you, and you think about it, it goes to what, in order to be able to do that as a coach, you have to have an incredible level of self-awareness, right? Because mm-hmm. showing your team that you value them on an individual basis, you have to be different towards each person. And, and that level of self-awareness. Before we get to the Pete Carroll story, can we tie that back into the why, I, why do I coach and the self-awareness and how that plays into being a competitive advantage? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, again, I, I think anyone would say it's a competitive advantage if most of the people on your team are performing at or near their potential, <laughs> right? And if people are missing, right, if you only got six out of your 14, you're not going to be as good of a team as you're, you're capable of being. And so um, uh, if you're why as a coach, and again, I think it's especially important if you're working with children um, it, or, or young adults, is um, if your why is around, hey, my why is to serve as many of these athletes as I possibly can and, and use sport as a vehicle to teach character and life lessons and, um, you know, help them get to a place they'd never been before and might not get to on their own. That's a pretty strong, that's a pretty strong Mm -hmm. why, um, that also leads to far more W's than L's on your, on your record as well. well and, and if you, and, and the thing about it is if you're intentional about that every day, consistently, right. The level of trust that builds with your, your team is amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. The, the level of trust is great because players see right through it when you're not authentic mm-hmm. and they see right through it when you're not in it for them. Mm-hmm. And if you're not in it for them, then they're not going to be all in for you. Right. Never. I think that's a great segue into the Pete Carroll story because we start talking now about driving a culture, right? Like what's the most important thing as a coach? So I'm going to completely get out of your way when you tell this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is a great story. And I had first um, seen the story, uh, Pete, uh, sorry, uh, Steve works closely with my podcast co-host, Jerry Lynch, um, for a number of years. Uh, Jerry wrote a book. 20 plus years ago called thinking body dancing mind, um, that Phil Jackson made all the bulls read. And, um, and so Jerry and him have been very close and he wrote a forward for Jerry's book where he talked about this story. And so we had him on the podcast and I'm like, you got to tell this story, um, because it really hit home for me. And so basically when he got the warrior's job, you know, he's, he's doing all the X's and O's and the tactical stuff. And he got to meet a lot of coaches and his agent said, you got to go meet Pete Carroll. You got to go see how he does things in Seattle. And so this was right after they'd won the Super Bowl, And, um, Steve went up for preseason and he sat in the huddles and he was part of the team meetings and he just watched how they did everything. And then one night Pete calls him into his office and says, Hey, Steve, um, you know, how are you going to coach your team? And Steve's like, uh, you mean like what offense are we going to run? What team is that? And Pete's like, no, no, no. Like that's, that's easy. He goes, you've been around the game your whole life. You, that stuff's easy. He goes, what's it going to feel like when people come to work? What's it going to feel like to be part of your team? What matters most to you that's coming out in your coaching? And Steve's like, ah, I haven't really thought about that before. So Pete Carroll sent him home to his hotel that night with a homework assignment of, you know, come up with the 10 most important things to you and then really distill it down to three or four, Mm -hmm. right? What's it going to feel like? What matters most to you 
um, that's authentically you, Steve Kerr, not what matters to Pete Carroll, not what matters to John Wooden, not what matters to anyone else. It's got to be what matters to you. So yours. Steve really did some great soul searching and, and came up with the four you know, core tenants, core values of the Warriors. Um, the first, which I love, which was joy, right? right? Like mm-hmm. love what you're doing. Um, and and I I look around so many youth sports fields and I see no joy. I'm like, God, if the Warriors can have joy, your 12 year olds should have joy right. at the top of it too. And it's certainly something that's always been important to me mm-hmm. that kids got to love this and want to come back. Um, you know, the competitiveness, obviously, because they're a professional basketball team. Um, mindfulness, because that's been important to Steve as a player. So being thoughtful and aware and 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 mentally prepared, and then. Um, and then, you know, compassion, right? Love each other. This is a family. We got to love each other. We got to trust each other. And so, you know, a, a great deal of the warrior success really came out of that being what was evident and what is evident every single day. Mm-hmm. A big part of why Kevin Durant went to the warriors was he's like, cause that's a group that I want to be a, a part of right. for a while. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And you know what I love what Pete said to him? When he said, okay, Steve, that's great. I, I love how he said, okay, you're not, you know, now go back to your hotel and, and sit down and really narrow those down. And then when he came back and he said the joy, the mindfulness, um, the compassion and the competitiveness, he said, that's great. Now you have to make sure that you live that out every single day in your practices, in your meetings and everything. And I'm going to, I'm going to bounce to the athletics of business mindset. Real mm-hmm. quick. I mean, you think about that in the business setting, um, you know, Steve Kerr, Pete told him to, you know, what will your day look like? Think about if you do that in business, what, what will, what will practice feel like? Well, what will the office feel like every single day when you come? Are you intentional about the environment you create for your people to succeed? And then, what, what are the players going to feel like when they walk into your building? What are your, what's your team going to feel like when you walk mm-hmm. into the building? And I, I just, I just love that. And I really love, because now when you sit back and you look at the run that Steve's had at Golden State, yeah. man, if he hasn't lived it, I don't know who has. No, exactly. And all his coaches and, you know, Luke Walton and, you know, other people. So it's like, it's not, um, you know, it, it's really, really, you know, important that and, and I mean, let's face it, you know, during this run as well, Steve had some health issues and had to step out and it kept going. Now, did he have great players? Yeah. Is this season going to be a, a struggle because of injuries and stuff? Yeah, probably. But I also know that he's working really hard on building those values and building, you know, the family so that when people come back from injury or next season, I think you'll, I think you'll see them only getting better and better. Um, because again, sometimes you have a talent deficit and you can't really do anything about that. Right. Um, but I think he'll still get the most out of the group that he has, but he's also going to lay the groundwork for, I think another run next year when Steph Curry comes back and Clay Thompson comes right. back and, uh, you know, what you love about him. Yeah. And what you love about him is there's no, he, he embraces reality. This is, you know, he, he accepts it, doesn't settle for it, but he accepts it. And this is, and that's what he communicates to everybody. It's going to be a long year and we know that, and we're going to coach it. So we keep teaching and we keep growing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things I heard him say in your podcast that just, I mean, I almost ran to the person in front of me when I was listening to it. He talks about it. <laughs> coach. He tries to have authority mixed in with humanity. 
Yeah. And when you have that and the ability to make, and it goes back to what you talked about, the number one guy and the number 14 guy, when you have that, you create this incredible um, ability to make each one of your team members feel valued. Can you talk about mm-hmm. how important that is? Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I think I, I put a line in the book there. Um, how do you make everybody feel invaluable without being the most valuable? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's something that great leaders do. Um, they make sure everyone feels like they have a role that the team would not be complete without them. And um, you do that by not just being an X's and O's or a sales figure person. You do that by being a human being and, and connecting with them and knowing who their kids are and, and knowing um, what's going on in their lives. And, you know, I do this as a youth coach because I believe that lots of people, you know, my kids do other sports and have other things in their lives. And so when I have a kid who misses a game because, you know, I had a girl who was a competitive Irish dancer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I, did, I don't go, how could you miss our game? I'm like, go do it, right? right. Like, yeah. what an awesome thing. And the first time I see her afterwards, my first question at practice is, hey, how'd the competition go? How'd you do? Tell me yeah. about it, right? Yeah. Um, and that's not fake. That's real because I care because mm-hmm. I know that's important to her, right? right? And, and, and how many of those kids show up going, God, I hope coach doesn't yell at me. Um, <laughs> because I missed the game this weekend or I missed practice yesterday. And, and so I think that's humanity. Um, but yet there's also respect and there's authority because I know what I'm talking about. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have the X's and O's, I have the knowledge, but then I have the connection piece and the believability piece and the vulnerability piece, which matters a lot too. And I want to talk about that. You know, I, I, we talk a lot about authentic and resilient leadership, and I, I like to break authenticity down into honesty, integrity, and vulnerability. And there's so much people used to think you become powerless by being vulnerable. I believe you become more powerful, right? Mm-hmm. And you show that you you trust the person that you're making yourself vulnerable. You show that you trust their experiences and their skills, and you show that you trust them and you value them because you're making yourself vulnerable to them. But how do you do that in sports, in youth sports, high school sports, college sports? Just talk a little bit about the power behind making yourself vulnerable. I, I mean, certainly I, I was like you as a young coach. I thought I was a sign of weakness, right? right. Yep. Like, like, oh my God, if I admit that I'm wrong, I must be an idiot and my coaches will, my players will walk all over me. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've certainly realized recently is that um, being vulnerable is one of the most powerful things. Admitting when I'm wrong, because let's face it, when I'm coaching 13-year-olds, 12-year-olds, which is what I do these days mostly, mm-hmm. if they aren't doing something well in the game, it, it's probably not their fault. It's probably because I haven't pra- covered it enough in practice. Right. So it really is my fault. <laughs> you know, um, and, and, you know, I think as a young coach, I always thought that if I taught it, it meant they learned it. And that's really... Right two very different things. So I think just being humble and admitting that you don't have all the right answers and drawing the answers out of your athletes rather than you being just the one who has all the answers, like that is absolutely huge. Um, and, and then when things don't go well, be like, you know what, that's on me. And if you think about this, right, if you come into a meeting, right, and you're meeting with your basketball team and, and you come in and you say, you know, our guards aren't defending or you're not pressing well, um, well, the first thing they're going to, if you blame them, then they're going to blame the next people, 
Mm-hmm. And then they're going to blame the next people. And then no one takes any accountability or responsibility. But if you come in and say, all right, you know what? I, I didn't prepare us well enough for how they're playing. Um, that's on me. Here's how we're going to fix it. Then your guards are like, yeah, and we could do this. And then your, you know, your, your, your center is like, yeah, and if I front this guy, then we can do this, right? And now everyone says, hey, let me add to the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think oftentimes that starts with the coach being vulnerable or leader being vulnerable and saying, well, maybe I don't have all the answers here, but I'm certainly going to work my tail off to get them. So how does that tie back into, because we talk about this, the retention piece of it, right? The retain, mm-hmm. retaining the athletes in, in youth sports, retaining, um, you know, the college athletes, you know, them not transferring, them not leaving, them not quitting, retaining people in the business world. How does that whole, the vulnerability, the collaboration, the being part of the solution, not part of the problem, how does that add towards your retention? Yeah. Um, I, you know, one of the things that I've added to my coaching toolbox recently, and I got this idea from, um, my friend Lynn Ketchmark and she was, you know, a hall of fame water polo coach and player and, um, uh, you know, collegiate division one, uh, swimming coach and diving coach. And, you know, she says, you know, what I started asking later in my career was what did I miss today? Right. And, and this is something that I have, done a lot of that at the end of practice, if I take a moment and think, what did I miss today that I could tidy up a little bit with a quick note, right? And and so, you know what, maybe it was super hard on that kid or, hey, I wanted to pull, you know, this kid aside and say, man, you know what, like, I notice how hard you're working. It's making a difference, right? I know you're frustrated because you're not playing as much or I know you didn't score and, and you missed those chances. But you know what? You, you've been working hard and you put yourself in that position, keep working. And oftentimes in practice, when we have lots of people out there and we're getting across our message, we miss those moments. And so what I've been very intentional about is, is following up with an email or, you know, I work with young kids, so I don't text them. But if I was a college coach, it would just be a text, right? Hey, you know, when I said that to you today, I don't think it came out the right way. Um, here's what I really meant to say. Um, and I appreciate all, all you've done. And, you know, the kid who gets that is like, damn, right. Coach noticed that he upset me. Right. Right. And, uh, he said, sorry, how does that hurt you as a coach? Like, I don't, I, I think it only helps because that athlete shows up the next day and says, coach, thanks for that. It really meant a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that they don't forget that either. They don't forget that. And, and the beauty of it is they pay it forward. They'll, they'll, they're going to do it for somebody else. It may not be right away, but at some point in time, they'll remember that you did that for them and the impact it had on them and they'll pay it forward. Can you talk about yeah. creating moments for your athletes? And in sort of the whole source of where this intentionality about the fact that every moment matters. I absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something that Jerry and I have said a lot for years is right. Your influence is never neutral, right? You're always having a positive or negative effect. Um, so you have to be intentional so you can have a positive effect. And the more aware you are of your influence, um, the greater your influence is. And, you know, so as uh, there's a great book, uh, Brothers Chip and Dan Heath called The Power of Moments. And it really resonated with me. And I had uh, had Dan on the podcast uh, two years ago or so when the book great first episode. came out. Yeah, it's just awesome. And yeah. and there that whole book is about the research into what makes moments memorable, what makes them stick. And all of us 
have moments in our life that have gotten us where we are, whether it was a coach, a teacher, you know, something that someone outside of our family said to us that either built us up or, or cut our legs out from under us. Um, this last night, I, I watched with my kids and my wife, we watched the movie Rudy, right? And my kids were like, wow, everyone is telling him he can't do it. He can't do it, you know, as a kid. And, and, and that, you know, is this thing that, wow, if you're, you know, I look at that now and go, man, look at all those people who squashed every dream that kid had. Mm. Um, what a tough thing. And, and yet he persevered, but not everyone perseveres through that. Um, so if we're intentional about these moments and we understand what are the times of insight and elevation and pride and connection that will be sticky as a coach, if we can be at our very, very best in those moments when they arise, man, oh man, we're going to reach more athletes. We're going to reach more teams and, and we're going to have more impact. And that's why every moment matters because you don't know if today's the day. You don't know if this moment, this conversation with this kid on this day is the one that he or she is going to remember the rest of their life. And so if you blow off this moment and act like a jerk, um, those could be the words they carry with them for their whole life. And I firmly believe that that's why from the moment you wake up to the moment you put your head back on your pillow at night, you are a coach. It's what you are. It's what you do. It's who you become. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, sure. Sure. And, and I, I think as that coach, you're bringing in all these qualities we talked about, right? That all these interactions are not transactions, right? They're, they're opportunities to have transformational moments, right? To have someone leave that interaction with you feeling better about herself, feeling better about their job, feeling better about their role on the team. Um, and, and again, you know, feeling very valued, without necessarily being the MVP. So let's talk about that. The, the, you know, creating moments for the athletes. What are some of the things you have done in the past and you've seen other folks done that are pretty powerful? Uh, well, I, I mean, one of the things that I got from that book um, that really resonated with me and I've been super intentional about is first day experience, mm-hmm. right? So when a new player comes to my team, their first day of practice, it used to be, Hey, this is Joey. He's here with us today. All right, let's go on. Right. But now I go up and I take some time to talk to Joey and his parents and I'll pull aside two of my kids before practice who I think are really epitomize what we're all about, what Mm -hmm. we value. And I'll say, Hey, there's a new kid coming today. His name's Joe. Um, He's just moved here from Colorado. Uh, He doesn't know anyone. Um, Your job is to make this like the best practice he's ever had. So he's going to be in with you in the warm up. He's going to be on your team. He's going to be part of everything that you do and um, just, you know, make it great for him. And uh, just by assigning those kids and paying attention to how his day is going. And at the end, Hey, can you all thank Joe for coming out today? It was great. You know, I'm going to see more of that kid, whether he's got ability or not. Um, and, um, yeah, I think just, it's like really, really important. You know, I don't know if you remember John, but when we both had finished the book, then we touched base like three or four months later, cause you vowed you're going to take that book and you're going to apply it the first opportunity. You had. <laughs> yeah. And that just, that had just happened. I, th- I thought, I think there was a young lady that came and joined one of your teams and that was, it was a huge deal. And you said it was a complete home run. 
Yeah, complete. And the parents contacted me after like, what'd you do to my kid? Like, wow, that was amazing. Right. And so I've had the opportunity to do it a couple of times now. And uh, it's just really, I, I think it's great. And so these are just right when we think about our first day at a new job, our first day on a new team. Um, these are moments that that can like if we walk out of that going, man, this company is the place I've always wanted to be my whole life or like, wow, I felt like I was just annoying everyone today because no one had any time for me. And I sat in my office reading the HR manual and everyone I got introduced to was too busy to talk to me. You, you know, that first impression doesn't go away. Right. And this brought me back to something in the book and forgive me because I might get this wrong, but you talked about the mirror effect. You know, when you see others yawn, you yawn. When you see other people smile, you smile. And the one that hit home was like, when you see someone else stub their toe or twist their ankle, you freeze too because you remember when, you know, when that happened. But talk a little bit about as a leader, a team being a direct reflection of their head coach and with these young kids, okay, and with, the, with your team and with your players and how important it is for you to mirror joy and for you to mirror all the things that you talk about in your book. Yeah, and this goes back to, I think, your values, whatever they are, being authentically you because then you're not trying to be something that you're not um, when, you're, when you're doing these things, right? But like, um, you know, when you model the behaviors that you want to see the most and you praise people and you reward people for modeling those same behaviors, you're going to get more of those behaviors, mm -hmm. right? You're, and that, I mean, this is just a fact of life. People want to be acknowledged. They want to be seen. And if you um, are consistently out in front of your people saying joy gets you seen, compassion gets you seen, right? Competitiveness gets you seen by me. Um, then other people are going to go, ah, I want to be seen too. And, and then you get more of the behaviors that drive your, your team at its best. But it all starts with you as the coach, right? You want your team to be calm. Don't jump up and down on the sideline yelling at people to relax because <laughs> they're not going to be calm. <laughs> so before we get into the last couple of questions, I want you to go ahead and share with us where folks can find out about the book, where we can pre-order it. We can find out more about Changing the Game Project. Your previous, tell us everywhere we can find <laughs> John O'Sullivan, Changing the Game Project, Way of Champions. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. So the, the new book, which is Every Moment Matters, How the World's Best Coaches Inspire Their Athletes and Build Championship Teams. Uh, just go to Amazon is where you're going to find that um, for uh, December 2019 release. Super excited that, you know, people, I've already got a lot of people who follow our work chasing us around going, when can I order? When can I order? When can I order? Um, and so sometimes that's not up to the author. <laughs> that's up to the, the powers that be. But Certainly, you'll be able to get it before the holidays this year. Um, and then, um, you know, the mothership is changingthegameproject.com. So that's where our blog is housed. That's where you can find our, our podcast, Way of Champions, um, and then connect to iTunes or Spotify or Stitch or however you listen to your, your podcasts. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you know, on social media, I mean, we have a really big Facebook community, parents and coaches now uh, just look for Changing the Game Project on Facebook and then Twitter and Instagram. It's at CTG Project HQ. Okay, that's CTG Project 
HQ. HQ. Yeah, headquarters. Someone had CTG Project. I don't know who they are. Okay. They stole my Twitter they handle. They stole it. They haven't tried to sell it to you. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. So uh, the fourth section of your book, John, uh, you talk about defining success. Can you talk a little bit about why that is so significant and how you go about doing that? Well, I think, again, the longer that we coach and as we maybe become parents ourselves like you are and like I am um, and our coaches grow up and maybe they become coaches or we coach their kids, um, we we again recognize that these moments matter and that our influence has not been neutral. And so when we start thinking about, you know, redefining success from just did we win to something deeper and, and, and more purposeful that leaves a greater impact, recognizing that maybe, hey, you know what, we're coaching the next generation of coaches. So how are they going to coach is probably going to be determined by how you coach them. And so how many uh, potential future athletes are you influencing by being great today? Um, number two, you know, when you build that coaching tree, uh, you just, you, you know, your, your, your sort of positive legacy lives on. Uh, and, and number three, I, I think, you know, I've stopped defining my success and did we win our league or did we win a championship? And I care more about like when a former player of mine invites me to their wedding, right? Right. Like that says that I was a good coach, right? That says that I did my job in, in that moment um, for that player. You know, those, those tickets to life, you know, defining graduations and weddings and christenings and things like that. To me, that means I that I made a real impact because I I didn't get invited to a wedding because I taught them the four three three, right? <laughs> as <laughs> right? far as you know, so, right? Yeah. As far as I know, I hope not. Yeah, yeah. That is in how. At what stage of the game did you start thinking about your legacy? Like, you know what? This is what's really important to me. My legacy. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I I think some people have asked like you know, what, what do you want your legacy to be? And, and I have certainly asked some people that, uh, question myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I don't, you know, it, you know, and it's funny, I, you know, we asked that to Steve Kerr and he said, you know, I don't really like that question because your legacy is what other people think of you, mm -hmm. right? Well, you should be really more concerned with, you know, how does it feel inside? Am I being the best version of myself every day? Um, for my athletes, for my own children, for my spouse. And, and so I, I really think that if I can go out and influence parents, right? And, and people say like, oh, does your work make a difference, right? Is sport really changing? I'm like, well, you know what? When I get a dad who emails me and said, you saved my relationship with my kids, mm -hmm. right? like well, you can't put a price on that. Like if I save one relationship, one family, that's awesome. If I make one coach uh, hit the pause button and rethink how he or she interacts with their athletes, how they build teams, um, then my God, like how many people will they influence in the next 20 years, right? right. It could be hundreds, could be a thousand. And, and so a thousand people's lives are better because, you know, this book reaches one coach, this, right. you know, this book reaches a parent. and so. Um, we live in this world where we can reach a lot of people now and it's kind of hard to cut through the noise. Right. And so, you know, I just want to be someone that people can trust that if you read something or you hear something we say that, you know, that like 
hey, this is good information. It's been vetted. <laughs> wow. It's been researched. And um, yeah. It's great. It's great information. I love what you do. And I cannot have you on this podcast and, and not ask you to give some advice because parents have such a significant impact on the experience of these young athletes. And every parent has different past, right, in sports. And some live vicariously through, through their children. Uh, some just want, like you and I, just want their children to have fun, to, to, you know, to play hard, to be a great teammate, to learn some character building um, you know, behaviors. But there, there's, sometimes there's conflict. There's conflict on certain teams and certain organizations. What advice, what suggestions, uh, maybe some demands, <laughs> what would you put on, would you, would you give to the parents? I mean, number one, you're the advocate for the human being, not the athlete, right? So your, your, your role in this, first and foremost, is to make sure that, you know, play the long game. What, what, what kind of person do you want um, your, your child to grow up to be? And then make sure, you know, athletics supports those values and those goals, not just did he get a scholarship or, or, you know, did they win all their games? Because I see so many people, um, you know, their family values one thing and then their, right. the sporting experience is the antithesis of that. Completely um, yeah. And, and so I, I think that's it. And, and then number two, just uh, again, sort of be the model, right? Like your kids need three things, right? They need to own the experience. They need to enjoy it and they need to be intrinsically motivated. So create the space for them, the opportunities for them to try different things, um, support the things um, that they're passionate about, right? When they want to shift gears for a bit, you know, allow them to shift gears if they need to try something new. And, and again, um, win the race to the right finish line, which isn't mm -hmm. when they're 10 or 11, right? right? It's, it's that, that. that human being. Because no matter how good they are at sport, like I, I love this, we all end up in the bar league, right? So <laughs> <laughs> Some better than others. Some better uh, than others. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I love that. In it run, to, run to the right finish line. While you're running to the right finish line, how significant is it for parents to not only allow their kids to fail, but to encourage them to get outside their comfort zone? And fail, and then when they do fail, learn from it. Don't just run away. Yeah, I, I mean, this is sport is this perfect playground for children to experience adversity, right, and learn from it. Mm -hmm. And as the parent, if if we helicopter in and scoop them out from any adversity, um, or if we don't allow adversity to happen by intervening on their behalf with their coaches or whatever, you know, we're we're in trouble. Um, because they're not going to learn from it. And at some point they're going to hit that adversity, right. you know? And then, and so as a, as a, a parent, if we just allow those desirable difficulties as the term goes to happen, um, man, you know, sport becomes this incredible vehicle for preparing them for life. Mm -hmm. And if you, if they know that you're there and that you love them, uh, you know what? Here, here's what I always say. Here's what I say to my own kids okay. after every time they play, when they ask me how they did, right? So they, they open up the conversation and I ask them three questions, right? What went well? What needs work? What'd you learn today that you can work on and practice this week so that you can do better next week? And it's so if they scored three goals, it's the same three questions. If they gave up three goals and were awful, it's the same three questions, right? But it's that consistent response of something always went well, 
something always needs work. And if there was a really difficult situation, what can you learn from it um, so that you can be better next week? And I think that type of approach is really, really the type of consistency that kids need. And when they have that, then they will ask you and they'll invite you into their world. Mm -hmm. But if they think you're going to be angry, if they think that you're going to be overly critical, if they think that if they never know what behavior to expect from you, um, they're more likely to shut you out. Right. And that's not a version of you that they want to be a part of either. And, and, you know, we talk about every moment matters. And and when you really break it down, you have teaching moments and you have the moments of encouragement, the moments, you know, there's all sorts of different moments inside of that. And I love those. I love those three questions after each one. Well, John, hey, I cannot thank you enough. This was, this was phenomenal. Again, the book, Every Moment Matters, How the World's Best Coaches Inspire Their Athletes and Build Championship Teams. Thank you so much. uh, It was an honor to be on and what a great conversation. I wish we had another hour. We're just getting warmed up. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to, we're going to do an encore interview soon. Amen. All right. Thank you so much, John. Well, folks, this will be the last episode of 2019 and what a phenomenal conversation with John O'Sullivan to close out the year. Go grab his book, Every Moment Matters, How the World's Best Coaches Inspire Their Athletes and Build Championship Teams. I'm telling you, it is as good of a read as you're going to find on that subject. Now, I want to take a minute to say a sincere and heartfelt thank you to you, the listener, for allowing the Athletics of Business podcast to be a part of your world. It means a lot to me, and I know it means a lot to my guests. So thank you. By no stretch of imagination am I taking December off as we are working on some really cool projects for 2020. I'll continue to share new content each week with the people on my VIP list. Now, what is that list? It is not a sales funnel with the drip campaign. This is my tribe. It's a group of leaders with whom the athletics of business mindset resonates. A group of leaders who are looking to grow and improve, to find new ways to continue to build their culture through authentic and resilient leadership. Leaders who embrace the coaching mindset and focus on transformational relationships, not transactional ones. In this content, I'm going to share stories, lessons, and here's the key strategies from the business world, sports world, as well as my unbelievable podcast guests. If you'd like to receive this content, feel free to send me an email at my personal email, ed at the Molitor Group, or go to theathleticsofbusiness.com and sign up for the free ebook. Again, you can send me an email at my personal email address, ed at the Molitor Group, or go to theathleticsofbusiness.com and sign up for the free ebook. Also, check out my blogs at themolitorgroup.com, as well as my published articles on LinkedIn. Here's the thing. I love what I do, who I do it with, and who I do it for. And it's, it's funny because I, I find myself in some unbelievably unscripted conversations, right? And I probably said that backwards, but you get the idea. And the other day, someone who I have a tremendous amount of respect for asked me why I thought I resonated with so many people and what separated me from others in my industry. And, and without thinking, my answer was, was really straightforward and, and simple. And, and I told him, because I'm real, you know, I'm not slamming anyone or diminishing their content. There's some phenomenal content out there. but Here's the thing. I've been there. I do not simply repackage other people's content and regurgitate things I've read or studied and say it in a different way. I own my experiences. I own the lessons I share with you. And the emotion that comes out when I talk, write, and listen is real. I've lived it. I mean, I've been a part of championships. I've been fired as a coach. I've been in the trenches. And when you're in the trenches and share personal and collective struggles and victories with people, there's a certain level of substance and authenticity attached to your story. Heck, I've been a part of some amazing cultures and and 
quite frankly, I've been a part of some very poisonous cultures. I understand what it takes to drive, build, and sustain a resilient culture. You know, those cultures that attract top talent, retain top talent, develop people. I've had three significant career transitions, four completely different industries, and I've succeeded each time, but not before experiencing failure, which tested my resolve. I mean, I've almost died twice. Through that adversity, I learned firsthand that I may not choose my circumstances, but you're darn right, I have the power to choose my response and what I do with those circumstances. I'm authentic, I'm genuine, and what I tell you is what I have experienced firsthand. You think about it, what I, what I teach, right, and talk about, what I believe, those are the things that have kept me alive, kept me moving forward, and put me in the position to make a positive impact on people's lives. There's, there's no pretense or BS about me, just a passion and a purpose. And I think this gives me an edge. I, I have an edge in everything I do each day. I am comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's where I've spent my entire life, mostly by design. But unfortunately, there was many times where it was by default. And my energy, my energy comes from those experiences and crucibles, and so does my gratitude. And this time of year has the ability to provide enough stress in your life to last a lifetime. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Here's the thing. Gratitude is what helps you grow through the stress causing challenges. Let me say that again. Gratitude is what helps you grow, not get, but grow through the stress causing challenges. So be intentional this holiday season about your gratitude. Be present, bring the positive energy, serve, and put yourself in the right frame of mind to go get what you, your team, and your organization are after in 2020. Thank you for listening to The Athletics of Business. Be sure to give us a rating and review so we know how we're doing. For more information about the show, visit theathleticsofbusiness.com. Now, get out there, think, act, and execute at the highest level to unleash your greatness.